Coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field, it's the Derek Izzy Show. Making history his story, Derek Izzy. You're listening to The Derek Izzy Show. Welcome back for another month of this wonderful podcast. And today's episode is brought to you ad-free. So first of all, I'd like to thank all the listeners who have been clicking on that PayPal donation button on the main page at DerekIzzy.com. Because of recent contributions, this episode is able to be brought to you ad-free. Born on September 24th, 1911, the topic of today's podcast was from the state of Kansas. Right here locally in the Strawberry Hill District, For those of you not familiar with Strawberry Hill, it's in the Kansas City area. There's actually a really nice museum that chronicles the settling of the Strawberry Hill area. And there's also a bakery that has this, I'll probably mispronounce it, but it has this povicia bread. It's sweet and it is really, really good. It's a bread that was brought over to this country by the immigrants who settled that area. And it's good stuff. The bakery down there does nothing but this kind of bread. So check it out if you're ever in the Kansas City area. So there's not a lot of information about the topic of our podcast as he was growing up. What we do know is that he grew up in a foster home. The foster home had a lot of issues. And so did the topic of our podcast growing up in that kind of environment. It was kind of lawless. And that kind of environment is where he seemed to thrive. By the time he was 16 years old, he had already committed several armed robberies. A teacher at the school he went to referred to him as the incarnation of the devil. As a teenager, he joined a gang. Gangs were popular at the time, but not like they are today. Gangs of that era were usually associated with the mob. Through his gang involvement, The topic of our podcast had an ever-growing criminal enterprise. He was slowly becoming one of the most accomplished bank robbers in the country. He even made the FBI's 10 most wanted list. At age 24, he was captured by police and sentenced to five years in prison for armed robbery. Seven years later, he was arrested for robbing a bank in Michigan and received 12 years in prison. During his armed robberies, he was very violent, and police had no sympathy for him. His robberies knew no limitations. During one of the robberies, the police were called. They shot and killed two of his buddies that were helping. They also shot the topic of our podcast, but he managed to escape. He escaped with six bullets in his body, and he lived to tell about it. He was kind of smart with his robberies. They targeted banks, 
gambling houses, bootleggers. These were all known locations that had lots of money. If you'd like to learn a little bit about bootlegging, check out the Derek Izzy Show's October 1st, 2014 episode, Race to Prohibition. You can learn all about how Prohibition started and ended. And as Prohibition ended, that led the topic of our podcast to a limited supply of places to rob. That left him with banks. Going in and out of jail and seemingly no end to his life of crime, the topic of our podcast was sentenced to Alcatraz. Upon arriving in Alcatraz, he was given the number 666. Serving in Alcatraz, he got a chance to meet some of the most notorious criminals in the country. It was said that he became friends with Pretty Boy Floyd, Babyface Nelson, and Machine Gun Kelly. He survived the infamous prison riot at Alcatraz that happened a year after he arrived there in 1946. And he managed to stay alive at Alcatraz. After getting out of prison, he was a lot older. Robbing banks would be quite the challenge. But after 1969 being released from Alcatraz, he met a woman. She had already had kids, and he became a loving father and then a grandfather. By 1970, he was married. He got a job at a school in the janitorial department. He became the supervisor over the janitorial services for several schools. This was a position he would hold for 11 years. As he enjoyed his job, he often thought about his robbery days, but his ideals would change over the years. An avid lover of dogs, he would accept stray dogs at his house and he would feed them and care for them. He also started painting. In 1994, he started attending the Alcatraz reunions. He was reunited with the guards who had served at the prison while he was there. It wasn't long after this that the media started to get involved. Documentaries, interviews, there's even a book about his life. In the book, you can actually see the six bullets in his torso and two others in his arms after being shot by the police. On September 24th, 2006, 95 years after he was born, the topic of our podcast would die. The book that was written about his life contained a lot of embellishing. If you'd like to read the book, you can order it off of Amazon. It is called A Devil Incarnate, From Altar Boy to Alcatraz, the autobiography of William Radke. And now, in his own words, I will let Willie tell you a little bit about his experience in Alcatraz. The following interviews were taken from media clip interviews with the Alcatraz guards and some of the inmates that Willie served with. So in lieu of this footage, I'd like to say a thank you. A thank you to Steve Davis for posting posting the footage online so we could have access to all the interviews. If you'd like access to some of Steve's interviews and information, you can find him at cameraman youcom That's C-A-M-E-R-A-M-A-N, the number four, and then the letter U.com, cameraman youcom And enjoy these interviews because now you know 
the rest of the story. Without further ado, we'll get into it. Now, some of the audio quality isn't the best because it's old footage and there were background noises going on, so you'll get the basic details in this one-of-a-kind footage. I'm the sole survivor of the first group to send to Alcatraz. I'm from Kansas City, Kansas. My name is William Ratke. William Ratke. So let's take a so let's take a walk back into my history. I was born in 1911, and my first offense was when I, when I was 19 years old. I went to the reformatory in Kansas City, in Hutchinson, Kansas, where I met Alvin Carpus, who became public enemy in later years. And I got out and I went to Missouri prison, where I met some some fellows in there that were going to that I was going to meet again in Alcatraz. When I came in Alcatraz, I didn't come among strangers. There's about nine of my new out. I knew Kelly outside. He was a bootlegger out in Wichita, Kansas. He used to haul whiskey to Kansas City. And I also knew Harvey Bailey, Kelly's partner. He was from Joplin, Missouri. Kansas City is a kind of a uh, hub center for all the criminals. Pretty Boy Floyd, Machine Gun Kelly. Johnny Chase, Babyface Nelson's partner, all of them passed through it. We were living we were living in Hammond, Indiana when my dad died in 1915. So my mother took us to Kansas City, Kansas, and had a place at an orphanage because she's a young widow with four children, so she placed it in an orphanage. And I was sent to one in uh, Xavier, Kansas, next to St. Mary's Academy, which is five miles south of Leavenworth. Leavenworth where the it's the main prison, United States prison is where I spent 15 years in the later years. And then I was taken out of the orphanage, adopted by a pair of immigrants from Yugoslavia. They didn't want a child, they didn't want somebody to, going to work for them. That was Willie talking a little about how he grew up. This next clip is from an interview he did with one of the guides about his time in Alcatraz. I came in 1945 and, and left in 1952. And I was here with the original group, oh, yeah. the cream of the criminal crime. But, but I knew fellas out here, so I, was, I didn't come among strangers. There was about nine of my new out here. First one I saw when they came around the corner in the cell house was Carpet. I knew him in Kansas. Creepy? I know yeah. why they called him Creepy. <laughs> they named him right. And then, then I said when I got in the yard, we didn't get newspapers out here. So when I came here and they had me on the yard, I'm giving all the big news from Kansas City, Chicago, who's locked up, who tells free, who they're looking for. So I was a fugitive for two years before he brought me out here. So they, so they cased me up here. 666, that was a number I got and I walked through the door. But Saltwater Johnson Warren, he was standing there and he, he looked everybody all over in there and they looked on this, what are you, what are you in it for? You, you were here for security. In 11 weeks you got rule books. Make up your bed. Here, nobody come in. Make your bed. Tell the guy, make it up yourself. In the morning, up in 11, we're down. So long as your bed not made up right. But over here, they didn't bother. You were here for security, period. I talked to guys that tried to get I talked to uh, Clyde Johnson. He was out in that water. Burdette, Burdette was with him. He drowned. And then there was other three guys. Nobody got away from here. And guys are always, always guys talking about, I'm going to beat this joint. Fifteen years later, they're still talking, I'm going to beat this joint. I heard one guy one day up to walk in the yard, he says, if you'll get me the, the blueprint C, I'll show you how to get out of here. 
about a year, year later, I told him, I heard his guy again, if you're getting that blueprint, see, I'll show you how to get out of here. So he did 12 years and got out. Now Willie recounts a time back in 1946 when the prisoners tried to take over Alcatraz. It was May 2nd, May 3rd, and May 4th. This whole ordeal resulted in roughly two deaths and 14 different people being wounded. Here's Willie to tell you about it. The takeover in 1946. We knew something was going wrong. The day I went to work down there, the lecturing was full of guys that were going to stay in their cells. I told Kelly and George, we're going to be here by ourselves tonight. So we're down the laundry. We didn't hear the sirens when they went off. The first thing we knew was when the Coast Guard come around there, started circling the buildings. And then when the phone rang, they made us line up down to take account. And when the United States Marines came on the island, that's all she wrote. Now Willie's going to tell you about how the Marines and the FBI came on to the island and how all the prisoners reacted. And then, anyway, then they let us here in the cell house. I couldn't understand that. And I settled down here. And these three guys are running loose in here before they went to C block. Because Coy come down his gallery, he said, we just killed nine bulls. He thought he killed nine all that shooting going over there. But then they got into C block, that's where he got killed over there. But there's none over in here. And then you still have Marines all came in with machine guns all around down in here. And there was a ricochet. They drilled some holes here in the ceiling on this cutoff. They dropped on the grenades down in there. Shrapnel was flying all over in here. And I had to put a blanket in this full of tear gas, loaded with tear gas. When we went out next morning, two more later, and empty shells out here, you fall on the floor. You had to watch by walking on So they fed us a gallery at a time till they got everything calling it down. Then the FBI called everybody out one at a time. They called five guys, and that was the end of it. They got called, got cussed out there, and they didn't want to talk to nobody no more. Nobody saw any, heard any, didn't want to hear anything about it in there. A lot of guys had grievances, so they don't want to hear that. They figure by, by putting Alcatraz on a trial, on a trial they're going to win, they didn't nobody. They dragged her body right along to in here. You could see the water and whatever it is, blood, all streak of blood, and they laid them. That's where they took their pictures back there behind this building over here. And I could see the, I could see the legs sticking out with laying down three guys in there. But they dragged them out on the blank because they had them out of seaside in there. With the guards carrying them. The and also the Marines, Marines in there too. They were, they were hey, those guys, don't, they don't play. They didn't play with nobody. Because when these Marines first come in here, down in there, and they, four of them kneeled down and four of them stood up with the rifle. It's open fire and they start shooting when right on through here. Cleared the eyes out. That's how they got everything out and made everything, everything had to hide in there. But those guys were hidden out in C-block side in the corridor. That's where they got them in there. Now Willie's being interviewed about how things changed after the prison riot and some other questions about his time at Alcatraz, followed by a recap from a guard at a reunion of Alcatraz inhabitants and employees. So after the, the incident in 46, was everyone... Well, it was a little. It was a little different. Uh, the guards, they would look like to act a little aggressive, because before that, they're all on first name basis. Don't get. In other words, they used to be friendly, get rid of carriers. They probably didn't want. Later on, they brought guards from McNeil Island here. I remember when they got, they they came down to reinforce the Alcatraz guards and the walking runners. So some guy down there, Bob says, "Hey, what time? We we didn't have any clocks and watches in there." He said, what the hell you want to know what time? Where are you going? 
you have to take pills, and so he got cussed out. Mm -hmm. What What do you remember most in your days of Alcatraz? What stands out? Well, that taking over with the guns in there, you know, and after after seeing and seeing the film, the documentary of when they're shooting in the cell, I said, boy, I was in that cell in there. And I, like I say, the best friends I met was out here. Guys in here, you could trust them. Like, we, now we're going to have strikes. Nobody say anything about it. Nobody's going to snitch on you. But we had snitches in here to this cutoff. That was where the snitches dropped notes down in there. And that was, that was locked in. The guard had to go in and turn off the lights, and he find a note in there. Do you like, do you uh, have fond memories of your days at Alcatraz? Well, that particular kind of monotonous in there. Uh, Warden Johnson would let us, he let me order his book in the state library, and they'd pay for him. I wanted some books on missionaries, how they, how they civilized California coming in from Mexico and there. And he had to send to San Francisco, I mean, a Sacramento State Library to get him. And they paid for whatever it was. And they allowed us getting a, a correspondence course from the University of Mer uh, California, Berkeley. And you can order any book. We had the best book. We had the best library anywhere else. We'd buy books and donate it to the library. Anytime a new book and money come out, we'd order. There's three, four guys that order the same book. So they put it in the library over here. At any time during the the whole shootout and, and, the, and the taking of the guns in '46, did you feel that your life was ever in danger? No, I didn't snitch on anybody. I had, you know, I was I was surprised. I asked Phil Berg about this one guy who was snitched. I always kept him there and brought never went out of his cell. He ate by himself. And I, I could remember this. I asked Phil Berg and I told me who his name was. He, That's the guy I never let in. He was a high, but he would never eat with a main line. Never and I'm surprised that they didn't try to get a him when they got the gun, but they couldn't do it because the Marines were in the were in the gallery up and the Broadway was wide open. You'd get get killed in there, anything in there. I do with him and Whitey Thompson. You know, Whitey came in after we did, and seeing like uh, Whitey's in a wheelchair, he's he's worse off than him physically. And uh, look at Phil Bergen; he's about 93 years of age. He's, he's got all his marbles. What's it going to mean to see Phil Bergen? Well, seeing him in a laundry, sitting like this in a laundry, he knows what's going on. Leave him alone. There's going to be an argument, be a fight, going to tear up my laundry or something like that. Hands-off policy was the best thing, and leave him alone. Willie was smart. He was smart enough to size up a situation and to know that uh, sugar attracts more flies than vinegar. He behaved himself. And he, uh, he knew that uh, in order to earn a remission of sentence, you had to accumulate the good time the reduction of sentence. And so he applied himself to all the work that he was assigned to and did exceptionally well. And he behaved himself exceptionally well. Not a goody-goody, not an angel, but well-behaved. And as a result of that, he went out of here on minimum time and uh, in good shape and uh, had the esteem of the officers and the captain 
to the point where when we meet, we're friends. In this next part, Willie describes what happened to prisoners who snitch and how some prisoners were protected. Then he talks about his cell, his actual cell that he served in in Alcatraz. And he goes into what it's like to be back in his original cell at an Alcatraz reunion. Hubbard, like I talked to him one day, I just, you could see that in there. They're talking about a laundry and everything else. What they were going to do once they got out of the building and went down the hill and grabbed these guards and family for hostages, there's a bit more bloodshed then. But when they got a hold of the captain, you know, and locked them up, and the wine hole says, hey, that man had a lot of moxie. He told me, if you're further away from Frisk, we ever be at 20. He got shot. And when he came back, after he got healed up, he's coming down Broadway, and this stool pigeon that never went out in there, he said, hi, man. He said, don't you hire me. He said, son of a bitch, you've been for five years, let us walk in a death trap. But that guy, like I say, he was protected. Never ate, never ate what a man like ate by himself. So what was this right here, Willie? This is my cell. This, this is my domicile. How does it feel to be back in your cell? I'm going to go back out. I had a, I found a ping pong ball down laundry and I hung it up. For my for moon lasted one day, lifetime. At one, they take it away from me. You're not allowed to have any. You're allowed to have. When I was you're allowed to only have one shelf. We had one water. I see they got two minutes. We had one water, cold. How you want your water cold? No, as a prisoner, what were you like? It got along easy, and it was it, it was easy to do time out here. You were here for security reasons. Anything you didn't do wrong, they'd, they'd probably ball you out. Anything that was it. But you went to Leavenworth, you had a rule book, you had to follow. You know. Down here, nobody, we would like, we had all, we were, had, we had for Cali sheets. We still had a laundry. And then put it in the laundry, you get, you get to walk. We'd have clean, clean sheets if you want every day. But well, we were particular, who's going to sound up next to you? Because we just, nobody just couldn't move in here. So me and Kelly, Johnny says Babyface Nelson's partner, Jim Clark, and, uh, Frank Delmar, we sell the old timers. I'm new uh, Clark and Delmar out of Kansas City. So the seven is down here selling, and the rest of the cell was all vacant. In fact, it was a vacant cell. And then we had seven, then Eddie Benz, he sold on the corner. He was a grandpa of bank robbers. He sold up in the corner. So when I came out here, I, I, the prison director came to Washington. I went down and asked him, why did you send me out? He, he gave me a look like, are you for real? I had detainers on. I was one up in. I was one in Michigan and also in Ohio. So here I was for keepsake outs. I'd be ready for detaining authorities. So my time was short. They sent me to Leavenworth where I was going to be picked up. But then I got out without being taken anywhere because the case was very old. They couldn't prove anything. And I was 13 months out, and I was back in again. But by that time, they closed Alcatraz. I just stayed in Leavenworth for 15 years. But why did, why did you want to come back? Well... Either that or going to stay in the little town where I live. I just want to come out and see this old place I can come back on. Uh, I don't know, this might be, I'm 89 years of age. I'll be hitting 90 before long. And then I knew it. And I asked the Phil Burton, I said, okay, I want to come down and Whitey Thompson be out. Somebody that you know, see, from the back here. But like I say, I'm the sole survivor. The first group was here. And I told my niece, Patty, I said, boy, Kelly would love this. <laughs> he would love this. This concludes this episode of The Derek Izzy Show. I want to thank everyone for contributing. We'll put a link to the PayPal site 
Because this episode was ad-free, just a big thank you to the listeners for visiting that PayPal link at DerekIzzy.com and donating. As soon as you get a minute, please write a five-star review on the Apple Podcast app or on Spotify. The Derek Izzy Show is carried across multiple platforms, including Amazon Podcast. And we look forward to bringing you another month of the Derek Izzy Show. Until then, good day.